is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. John, I'm part of the leadership team here. I have that privilege of being part of the leadership team of Jubilee Church. Um, and it's great to have you with us this morning. So, you join us this morning in the middle of a five part series. And so, if I just fill in around the edges of that and what that means, really. It started with a word that um, Graham, who's the lead elder here, brought some time ago from Ezekiel 47 around the, the river of God from the temple. And, um, Graham felt strongly before God that actually we needed to look at some of the, the things that actually block that flow of the river and boulders and rocks that interrupt the flow of God's presence in our lives. And the first week we looked at some unbelief, doubt and cynicism. And last week we looked at the boulder or rock of fear. And this week's session is entitled The Rocks of Unforgiveness and Bitterness. So... Um, before I start that, it was interesting today actually, is, um, just as a side, uh, I just finished walking our dog and got back up to the front door and on the outside of our front door there's a hanging basket full of uh, a plant that I don't know the name of. And so I started to take some of the petals off it because apparently if you take petals off of flowers it re- causes regrowth underneath them. And I suddenly realised what I've been doing for about the last six months Actually, I don't know if you have a sort of a, a, a strange quirk that you do, but actually I make up names, Latin names, for plants. I know it's a bit strange, but my wife Julie and I will be walking out, and she'll say to me, and I go, oh, what's that? And I'll make up a Latin name for it, because it sounds like I know what I'm talking about. I haven't got an absolute clue what it's called, so it could be Bulbus Evictus or something like that. And, and for the first couple of times, I got away with it, and she started to see through it, well, you don't really know what you're talking about, do you? I said, I haven't got a clue, really. So it just made me chuckle. I was looking at that plant. I thought, yeah, I make up a name for that the other day. I really must get out more. But anyway, let's consider what we're talking about today, which is this rock of unforgiveness and bitterness. Um, but before we even consider the subject, we need to thoroughly understand our position before God because it's so important. And I was, I was wondering this morning if there's anybody here that likes Star Trek. Would you just like to put up your hand? Who's a Star Trek fan? <laughs> Well, there's a few people that admit to it. Okay, so that's the first thing. So that's the first that's the first hurdle you've got over. So secondly, who would know most of the names of the characters in Star Trek? Okay, okay. Now, now, now here's the real big one coming up. Who can speak, speak Klingon? Oh, how disappointing, really. Not one person's going to admit to that one then. Okay, but I was thinking, actually, that sometimes in the Christian walk, it would be great if I invented, I'm thinking of inventing a new planet called the Planet of Revelation. And I think I might call it, was it a transporter room or a transponder room or something? Who knows? Transporter, was that right? Transporter, thank you. Oh, thank you, Valley. I didn't really, you're a Trekkie. Okay. That was a Trekkie, right, make a note of that. So, so in this transport, I'd, I'd like to be able to stand in that, that light that comes down in the middle of that thing and I get transported to this planet of revelation and everything that God said about us in the Bible immediately comes to life. And I was just so taken by the words of some of those songs we've been singing this morning. The truth that is going around this building at the moment is unbelievable. And if only we can capture what some of that truth means to our lives, I think we would have a different walk before God. And we need to understand the enormity of what's been accomplished by our Saviour. 
because we'll never start to comprehend our inheritance in relation to his amazing grace, which is sufficient for all of our needs. And the Apostle Paul says to the Colossian church, for he has rescued us, rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Redemption. We've been declared free from sin through Christ's death and ultimate resurrection from the cross. We've been forgiven our debts. We deserve the wrath of God. But actually, if you were a Christian here this morning, we deserve death and wrath. What do we find ourselves? We find ourselves the recipients of his most wonderful, bountiful love, grace and mercy. So just let that sink in for a second because we need to know where we're standing this morning before we get onto the subject of forgiveness and unforgiveness. Because if we don't do that, we'll be on shaky foundations. The psalmist says in Psalm 103, verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions or sins from us. It's infinity. It's completed, never to be discussed or doubted again. And if you're anything like me, sometimes I'll go back and say, yeah, God, God, but what about that? And it's almost God says, I've dealt with that. Don't need to bring that up. That has been dealt with. As far as the east is from the west, and there used to be a little cartoon picture that went round that I saw in a Bible one day. That was just had a picture of this vast ocean, and in the middle of this was a signboard that came out of the water, and on it it just said no fishing. And God doesn't want us to go and dig up past. He says basically it's been dealt with. Live in the fruitfulness and the goodness that I've dealt with. That as soon as you became a Christian, that is gone. Such is God's forgiveness to His beloved people. So if we leave here this morning with nothing else, then please remember you've been fully justified, fully forgiven, fully loved, and free from condemnation. And John 8.36 says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Amen. Amen. The problem is, when we talk about forgiveness, the worldly perspective on forgiveness would be all about revenge. Let's get our own back on here. And that's a really tricky one to get heads around as Christians sometimes. Ever heard, thought, or maybe even said these words? I'll let her stew for a while. It'll do her good. Well, sure, it wouldn't do, but anyway, that's what, what you would say, isn't it? Or he needs to learn that these actions have serious consequences. Or I was the wrong party anyway. It's up to him to make the first move. Ever thought or heard or said those maybe? You see, these feelings may be appealed to our flesh, but they utterly oppose the truth and approach that Jesus teaches us in his word. God's will is for us to forgive, and there are consequences if we don't. Matthew 6, 14 and 15 says this, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. There's a sharp warning in that that passage of Matthew there. So how do we define forgiveness? We could define it as surrendering my rights to hurt you for hurting me. So surrendering my right to hurt you for hurting me. Forgiveness is massive. It can also be very evasive and difficult to wrap our minds around the concept. It's so contrary to the nature and raw emotions. But we need to call it out for what it is. It's very difficult to do. If ever you've had to forgive somebody for anything, you know how difficult that is really. It doesn't come easily to anybody unless you're very unusual, I guess. So Imagine all the emotions you go through when I've, I've got to go and forgive that person. I'm, I, might, I might feel 
whatever, and the emotions go they go round and round, don't they? So it is difficult to do. And it's sometimes as elusive as that bar of soap in the shower. You go to grab it and it's gone. But true forgiveness only occurs when those cold emotions of unforgiveness are changed to warm, loving, compassionate and caring emotions, resulting from a heartfelt transformation. Forgiveness is both an act and a process. And don't confuse forgiveness with reconciliation. It takes two to reconcile, and it only takes one to forgive. Forgiveness is giving up the hope of a different or better yesterday. Giving up what could have been. So no matter, as you sit there this morning, how you may have been hurt, violated, betrayed, disrespected, abused or abandoned, physically, emotionally or spiritually, in every case, big or small, recent or long past, minor or major, the greatest obstacle to our recovery through forgiveness is the refusal to give up the hope that the offending occurrence has been different or better. And as long as we continue to dwell on those things, we imprison ourselves to the unchangeable past and bind ourselves with the heavy chains of old emotional and spiritual scars, such as anger, bitterness, hopelessness, pain, regret, guilt, and perhaps even revenge. Sometimes we direct these emotions to our offender and sometimes upon ourselves. So therefore we must forgive as Christians, no matter the situation and regardless of whether or not there has ever been any apology, recompense, punishment or reconciliation. Why? We forgive that we can be set free. I just want to read through what will be a very familiar passage to you from Matthew 18, 21 to 35 really. It's the parable of the unmerciful servant. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had had to be sold to repay that debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with you and I will pay you back everything. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I cancelled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned to him. I'm sorry, in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. A very vivid account here of the unmerciful servant on the two sides of the coin, really. 
Jesus' response? 77 times. There's no ceiling here in this thing here. There's no, there's no limits at all here. The good thing about the master, he role models something very explicit to his servants. He role modeled the fact that he needed to give. So compare the two here, whether the sum is millions of pounds, which you would be converted in this, into this day's money, or a few pounds, forgiveness will always be costly. But remember, the cost of forgiving others is nothing compared to God's forgiveness of us or the cost he paid for us, his humiliation, his torture, and his ultimate death on the cross. Unforgiveness in someone who's never experienced God's forgiveness may be understandable, but what can we say about us as unforgiving Christians? I just uh, I was going through some parts of the scriptures yesterday and it just occurred to me, I was just thinking about um, the, the, the words that Jesus spoke when he was being crucified in our place on the cross. And the second to last recorded sentence that Jesus ever spoke um, was in Luke 23, 24. Very familiar word again, I guess. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And who is he forgiving? Jesus was forgiving everybody that was around the cross at that time. The people that had betrayed him, the people that had nailed him to the cross, the people that had disowned him, he was forgiving everybody. With his last breath on the cross, Jesus had the compassion to reach out to people. And then I went on to read the scripture a bit further, and his last sentence recorded in that gospel was Jesus forgiving one of the robbers that was being crucified alongside him. So there we are. There, we can't role model it anymore beautifully than Jesus role model it for us. Forgive, grant salvation, and that's pretty much what we're called to do as Christians. What a saviour. Even in the middle of his death, compassion on those around him. So I hope that we can begin to understand our position before God and what it says in the Bible about forgiveness today. And let's see what God wants us to do with this particular rock. Undoubtedly, as with unbelief and fear that we looked at in previous weeks, the rock of unforgiveness will interrupt the flow of the river and impede the presence of God in our lives as it gathers unhelpful debris around it. Ultimately, if not dealt with, it will dam up the river as it saps our strength, dampens our joy, and brings anger, bitterness, and deferred hope. And as I was preparing for today, I, I was reminded of a, a young lady in a church that I once, to, uh, once belonged to. And um, this young lady had only been a Christian about six months, and she was in a wheelchair, and the doctors had diagnosed her with ME. And she came to a prayer meeting one evening, and in that prayer meeting, someone felt they had a word for her about unforgiveness in her life. And being a young Christian, she'd probably never even thought about that before. And she was prayed for, um, went home, and seemingly everything was exactly the same. The next day, she was a phone call to the office. She'd be completely healed. She'd put her wheelchair away, and she was walking around and fully recovered. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying here. I'm not saying that actually if you don't forgive someone... There is a physical ramification to that, but I honestly believe that there are times when actually forgiveness and the root of bitterness that grows inside us can cause us to be physically ill. And in this case, this girl was completely set free by God because of what she dealt with in her own life. So, and forgiveness actually is a terrible thing. I actually was part of a church where unforgiveness on Sunday, half the church got up and walked out and followed an elder out of the building because actually 
the two elders in the church couldn't forgive one another. It's a terribly divisive thing, and something we must be on our guard against at all costs. So what do we need to do? Uh, we need to act now because prevention is better than cure in this particular thing. So I want to just look at four preventative measures you might want to consider in closing. Number one, keep short accounts with one another. In part of the marriage prep we're doing with a couple in the church at the moment, we look at Ephesians 4.26, which says, In your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And that's just so practical, isn't it? Husbands and wives, families, if you've got something to discuss, discuss it before the sun goes down. Don't let it fester, don't wake up the next morning and think, Oh, we didn't deal with that last night, it's still there. Deal with those rocks when they come up. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Number two, honour and value the body of Christ. In 1 Peter 2.17, in the King James Version, it says this, this is beautiful, honour all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honour the king. And then that's followed up in Philippians 2.3, with do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceits, rather in humility value others above yourselves. So what does that mean practically? Let's think about this morning, for instance, before many of us got here, the band were on the stage practicing. Matthew was here with Dan setting up the PA. There was someone setting up the pro club, someone setting up the creche, someone doing refreshments. We need to honour those people. And I'm sure when you're serving in the church as well, you want people to come up at the end and say, thanks for that, I really appreciated it. It's those type of things that stop bitterness coming into the church. So honour one another. Well, how about in midweek? When's the last time you said to your life group leader, thanks for opening up your house, I really appreciate your care over us. Oh, wonderful, thank you for sending around that meal when we were ill, for looking after our children for you. One of those that serve in the body. Number three, be transparent with one another and cherish kingdom principles. 1 Corinthians 11.28 talks about communion. When we come for communion, what do we need to do before we take communion? And it says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. And then in Matthew 5.23, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, as we have been doing this morning, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, and first go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. And it's all about keeping short accounts, isn't it? It's about clearing the debris out of the way before we come even to worship God's you know, when we come to him in fullness, we want to make sure that actually, no, I've got unforgiveness, I've said something, I've whatever, clear it all out of the way. Fourthly, don't get tripped up by your emotions. Forgiveness is both an act and a process, and it's a decision and not a feeling. Feelings don't always come into line with your actions. Let God change your heart. So you might go to someone and say, look, I'm ever so sorry for offending you that they would you accept my apology? And they might say yes. But you're going to go away with still those feelings inside you. You might have actually stepped over the line and, and vocalised that. But then you're thinking, but my heart hasn't come into line with what I've just said. It won't necessarily for some time, but let God deal with that. You deal with the vocal bit. Let God deal with the heart over this. It's so important. You don't get tripped up by your emotions in this one here. And then also recognise those feelings of unforgiveness. And if they start to return, stand on the word of God. Don't let them take root. I just want to read you a, in closing, I just want to read you a story from this book um, written by a guy called Philip Yancey. Many of you might have heard of him. It's called What's So Amazing About Grace. 
And it tells a story of something that happened in 1987 in uh, Northern Ireland. And it says here, in 1987, an IRA bomb went off in a small town west of Belfast amid a group of Protestants who had gathered to honour the war dead on Veterans Day. 11 people died and 63 others were wounded. But what made this act of terrorism stand out for so many others was the response of one of the wounded, Gordon Wilson, a devout Methodist who had emigrated north from the Irish Republic to work as a draper. The bomb buried Wilson and his 21-year-old daughter under five feet of concrete and brick. Laddie, I love you very much, was the last words Marie ever spoke as she grasped her father's hand as they waited for the rescuers. She suffered severe spinal and brain injuries and died a few hours later in hospital. A newspaper later proclaimed, no one remembers what the politicians had to say at that time, but no one who heard Gordon Wilson will ever forget what he confessed. His grace towered over the miserable justifications of the bombers. Speaking from his hospital bed, Wilson said, I've lost my daughter, but I bear no grudge. Bitter talk is not going to bring back Marie Wilson. I pray tonight and every night that God will forgive them. His daughter's last words were words of love, and Gordon Wilson determined to live out his life on that plane of love. The world wept, said one reporter, as Wilson gave a, a similar interview on the BBC radio that week. After his release from hospital, Gordon Wilson led a crusade for Protestant Catholic reconciliation. Protestant extremists who had planned to avenge the bombing decided, because of the publicity surrounding Wilson, that such behaviour would be politically foolish. Wilson wrote a book about his daughter, spoke out against violence, and constantly repeated the refrain, love is the bottom line. He met with the IRA personally, forgave them for what they'd done, and asked them to lay down their arms. I know that you've also lost loved ones, just like me, he told them. Surely... Enough is enough. Enough blood has been spilled. The Irish Republic ultimately made Wilson a member of its Senate. And when he died in 1995, the Irish Republic, Northern Ireland and all of Great Britain honoured this ordinary Christian citizen who had gained fame for his uncommon spirit of grace and forgiveness. His spirit exposed by contrast the violent deeds of retaliation and his life of peacemaking came to symbolise the craving for peace within many others who would never make the headlines. To bless the people who have oppressed our spirits emotionally, emotionally deprived us, or in other ways handicapped us, is the most extraordinary work any of us will ever do, writes Elizabeth O'Connor. How powerful is it then that one man's act of forgiveness is the catalyst that started to change an entire nation's hope? Caroline, I wonder if you can come up with a band, please. Thank you. So normally on a Sunday, I guess what we would normally do is we'd, we would um, pray for people at the front. And I'm of the persuasion this morning not to have any public ministry. That's what we've been discussing is of a very personal nature, I think. It's normally between two people. But what I want to do is just wait on the Holy Spirit this morning. Because I believe the Holy Spirit wants to bring some revelation to us here this morning. As I started to prepare this, I just felt he was talking to several people here today. 
So I want to go through that, and I'm going to hand over to Caroline to take us through the last song. And then we're going to pray, and we're going to go and have some coffee and donuts. So I wonder if I can just, so we can just wait on the Holy Spirit for a second, please. This morning in this room, difficult subject to get our heads around, Lord. It can cause such freedom, but also such grief, Lord God. We need your spirit to enable us this morning, Lord God. I felt God wanted me to say this this morning. Husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wives, respect your husbands. Children, obey your parents. I wonder if I can respectfully ask that if you're a married man here today, that you could just stand to your feet for a second. I just believe God wants to do something in your lives. I believe that God this morning wants to remind you of your position in the household as head of the house. And that you always need to be the initiator of forgiveness in your house. Whether that comes easily to you or not, God has placed you in the position of headship in the house. And as men, we will always be accountable before God for our wives, our children, and ultimately our actions. He would want to remind you that his grace is sufficient for all of your needs. And I believe that there are some men here today that unforgiveness is like a separate room in your house. And you've shut the door and you've locked it. And you've, you've even uttered these words, there'll be no discussion over that matter in this household. And I believe this morning that God is going to give you the keys to reopen that house and let freedom come again. Spirit of God. In your house, is hurt, suspicion, and disunity. God wants you to open up that room. He wants you to take action as the head of your house to make that happen. You have the keys. Initiate, forgive, and live in the freedom that that brings. Thank you, men. Please sit down. Thank you. I also felt that there was somebody here that needs to make a long-distance phone call to ask for forgiveness from somebody. I believe it's in Africa. I might be wrong, but I just felt 
Africa come to, come to mind. So if something that's happened, you might be feel wronged in it, but actually you've got to phone and make that phone call, and it's really urgent because that's going to release things today for you. And finally, I felt that there was someone here that's lent somebody some money, and it's all got really messy, and actually you're using that money as a, a little bit of a manipulation thing, really, and God says, give that away. Just let that go now. Just release that. Live in the freedom of what I've got for you. His grace is sufficient for all our needs. So I just want to pray over you guys. Um, I want to pray for myself that I don't fall into the trap of this as well. And then we're going to sing a song, and then I'll be happy to pray for anybody if you want any encouragement or you just want to stand alongside you. Um, but I'm not going to call people to the front formally. I think God just wants to work in your hearts today. So, Father, I just commit myself and I commit this congregation to you, Lord God. Father, the things that we brought and said and heard today, Lord God, I pray in Jesus' name there'll be fruit, Lord God. Father, I pray that the men will stand and be counted, Lord God. The men that are head of their household, Lord God, will love their wives as Christ loved the church. The women here will love their husbands, Lord God, and respect them. The children will obey their parents, Lord God. Father, we commit ourselves to you, Lord God, everything you've done, everything you're going to do, Lord God. Every person you're going to set free, Lord God, today, Lord God, I thank you so much for your working in our lives. I thank you for your truth, your love, your grace, your mercy. That sufficient grace, Lord, is all we need, Lord God, to get out of our chairs and make that work today. So thank you, Spirit of God. Thank you, amen. If you know more call after that, after that, just please help yourself to some coffee and um, let's get to know you in the, in the uh, coffee room. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.